Hey guys, welcome to the Anytime Soccer Training YouTube channel. Today, I just wrapped up a wonderful interview with Phil Zayas. Now, Phil, you have a stored history and you're going to tell us about your background. But you're telling me you have traveled to Argentina and other parts of Latin America and all over the world to recruit soccer players, uh, college soccer players and others to the States. I found that absolutely, man, amazing. And I wanted to get your insight on what that was like. How do you compare that to our American players and how that's informed the organizations you've started now and your coaching style and your philosophy? Man, I just found that absolutely amazing. So introduce yourself and tell us what it was like to be in Argentina recruiting players. Tell us about your podcast and just tell us how all of those experiences have informed what you founded here in Miami and Fort Lauderdale as well. Absolutely. Um, well, first off, Neil, thanks for having me on and uh, welcoming me to your audience and your space. Um, I do talk a lot about this stuff on my podcast. It's called The Soccer Phil Show. So all of you are welcome to check it out. Um, but um, yeah, I've been, I've been coaching college soccer about 15 years. And, uh, you know, recently my school closed down due to COVID. Um, but I was coaching on the men's side at Johnson Wales University in Miami for the past nine years. Uh, an NAI school. And um, I, I did a lot of traveling in South America, uh, specifically to, to recruit student athletes. And, uh, you know, I think the conclusion I've come away with is that, um, you know, there's people from around the world that are really hungry to uh, have the same opportunities that we have over here that our players have, and they're really hungry to come over here and play college soccer. You know, in South America, when you hit 18, if they don't sign you on a professional contract, then you're pretty much almost out of the game. Like your, your career is over. So there's some great players from big clubs around the world that when they don't make it, they get cut. They look at um, playing college soccer here in the United States as an opportunity. So, you know, with Miami AC and what we do is, you know, once I realized that I'm like, man, our kids need to really have an understanding that college soccer is a global game. And I want to help in, in my area and in our country um, to help educate parents and players on the college process and really help them. And they need to know what they're up against in regards to um, playing college soccer and how to be recruited and all that stuff. So I do everything I can to try to educate people and, uh, in our country and help them out. Yeah. And so, first of all, I learned about you through the podcast. I'm going to share that podcast in the, in the show notes. And I'm going to share that podcast in my group. And I may actually borrow the file and just put, put your podcast in my podcast and be like, listen to this podcast and let's talk about it. Because as content you. creators, you know, hey, if you got eyes, plagiarize. But <laughs> so that's number one. Number two is the reason I was fascinated with what you're doing is because it's actually pretty rare to see someone who meet someone who has seen both sides of the fence, who have seen international soccer at a high level and U.S. soccer at a high level and are very um, matter of fact and in respect, uh, introspective on sort of the pros and cons. So I found that fascinating. So let's get into the brass tacks, okay? I have two sons, 2013 and 2010, and they have not reached puberty yet, okay? And that's important 
and I'll tell you why. So I work with them. I train them. So they're they're more advanced than the little guys and girls that run around here in North Carolina. But what I can't picture, like I can picture it in basketball and football because it's so physical. I can't picture what the equivalent of, and I'm just going to throw this name out here, a Mason Greenwood looks like at the younger ages. And I can't picture what a Mason Greenwood would look like at 15 years old. I can picture that in basketball because I've seen it and they're huge in football the same way but I can't picture it in soccer. Is there any insight whatsoever you can give me? Like, did you go to Argentina and see a kid that's like, like out of this stratosphere or are we talking a game of inches or what, or mindset, all the above? I don't even know if I'm asking the question right, but a lot of parents are afraid to answer. Let me just end with it. Let me say this. A lot of parents are afraid to have this conversation because they think, because people think, you're saying you're gonna your kid is gonna be the next messy but it's really like i just don't know what it even looks like yeah so um i mean i have found that you know if you look at even our younger teams like our mls academy teams um they compete with some of the top clubs in the world um you know at the younger ages and i think you know where we've had where there's been separation is when you hit like 16 17 and around the world Uh, kids are signing pro contracts when, um, you know, that wasn't happening here. And and I think you're seeing a generation change in this country and just the way the game is evolving that uh, kids are now starting to sign pro contracts here. And it's, it's amazing. Um, You know, we've got what probably about 15 guys playing champions league. Now I would project in the next three to five years, you'll probably see that number double or triple. Um, just because we are developing players. So at the younger ages, we have some great players that you could almost consider world-class. I also, you know, one of the things I found through my experiences, especially when I go to Latin America, South America, um, is that the players there, some of them that are playing in high, high, you know, high-level environments, like in a professional club, um, those kids, many of them are playing for a different reason. You know, in, in this country, we don't necessarily need soccer as a way um, for a better life, if that makes sense. We don't need it. You could go to school. You can get an education, which is an amazing thing. It's 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 really um, a blessing that we have that in this country. Um, but many times in South America, uh, younger kids might even stop going to school at a young age to focus on being a pro. They have less than 1% chance of making it, but the whole family is, is, is hoping that their son makes, makes it professionally so he could take care of the family. And that's kind of the hope. So I think, you know, one of the things I found is that in South America, their why, you know, their reason for, for playing uh, is different than ours. So it's, it's changed the way I develop uh, my youth players because I, I now make sure that at a younger age, I'm focused on, um, you know, they have, for me, the first step in developing a soccer player is falling in love with the game because we have such a dropout rate at 13, you know, so at 13 years old. So if they don't fall in love with the game, they're pretty much done. So to me, I've learned that that's a huge, they, you have to, we have to find a way in this country to create passion. And I think, uh, you know, the game is growing. So we're, we're starting to get that. But again, I don't know if, I don't think we'll ever need the game as a way out. 
And no. so, you know, that's, that's the little difference, you know, and I've seen there's times when I'm in South America and I'll give you an example. There's a kid going up for a header. I'm sorry. There's a plane, plane no, flying by. I'm, hey, I'm outside fine. in the beautiful Fort Lauderdale uh, weather here. So, but um, yeah, there's times when I'm in South America and I'll see a, a ball get crossed in a box and it looks like it's 60, 40 going toward the keeper, you know, but the forward will still stick his head in there and try to challenge and create and make it a 50, 50, you know, where sometimes here, our kids might not go in for that ball because again, their purpose and reason, you know, you see that little bit of a difference in passion and, but, um, but, I, but I think there's ways that we can, um, you know, I think there's solutions to all those, those, those little issues and we just have to tweak some things. That's all. Yeah. I always say that we have to leverage our own culture to get the results that we are looking for. We can't be, another country right so i think that's where actually school sports come into play as well because the passion that we some of the passion that we lack for soccer we're kind of missing the plot a little bit on how we can sort of leverage our school sports culture uh to get some of that passion within that back but that's for another conversation yeah so folks if you're listening on the podcast because i'm going to post this on the podcast as well we have a video version on the youtube channel i'm going to post uh, Phil's contact information and his club in Miami uh, and Miami slash Fort Lauderdale as well. If you're in that local area, I know we have a lot of people who are in that area who are looking for a club that's really focused on, and everybody says it, I give, I give our coaches a hard time, but really focused on development, right? And trying to produce content, trying to move the envelope, you know, to help parents really understand what they're getting into. So I'm going to post that information as well. Phil, I promise this was going to be short. I have a couple more questions. You let me know when you have to hop. So in terms of, all right, here's another thing I cannot picture, okay? Ignorant parent. My sons are technical in part because they get a lot of deliberate practice from dad, good or bad, no judgment zone. We go outside, you got to kick the ball, you have to dribble around these cones, blah, blah, blah. Now, they were born in England, so they play a lot. So I don't want this to turn into crazy soccer dad, but but they're really technical because they work with me. What I cannot picture, and I don't know why I can't picture this because I grew up with people who are very good at basketball. They never did any formal training, but I can't picture kids being supremely technical without a parent or an adult training them like that individually. And so from your travels and anecdotally what you're seeing, do you see players who you're like, man, this guy, this kid is 13, this kid is 14, this kid is 16. They are just wonderful. And it comes from more of an organic free play environment with some team training or what are you seeing? So no, it's a great, it's a great question. Um, I, I think again, uh, every country is different. Cultures are different. You know, and I use South America as an example, just I traveled there so often. But um, there was times that we actually recruited players that didn't have much training, actually. They and, and, and to be honest, they didn't even um, they weren't even in a real organized team environment. Um, but, you know, you learn a lot. I mean, look, you mentioned basketball. Uh, I, I'm not a basketball player, but I can shoot around a little. And and, you know, if I start, you know, throwing my shoulders in and trying to juke and all that stuff. It's because I I'm trying to emulate what I, you know, what I see, what I watch, you watch the, 
you watch the pros and then you try to copy. And so soccer is very much the same. I mean, in, in, in many countries, and this is why I think it's important that if when we have MLS clubs in our area or even USL clubs, we need to get our kids out there watching these games because the kids, they look at and watch the pros and then they try to copy. So um, a lot of times there's plenty of players I recruited out of South America that were not in a team environment. Um, they basically watched a lot of soccer, but they played all the time with friends. They played a lot with friends. Like it was cultural or cultural, a cultural thing where they get together a few times a week and they play. And in small sided games, you're forced to be technical. So the game is actually very much a teacher, which leads me into something that I think I want to just drop, which is I watch a lot of sessions, um, of all ages, but I specifically have seen a trend from U9 to U12 in this country where at the end of the session, the kids are not playing. And I, when I, when I work with younger age kids, every session we play, there's not one session uh, that we do not play soccer. And my, I have three kids. One of them, I was hands-on with training her, coaching her, and she still plays in college. She loves the game to this day. My middle son, I did not coach and train. I left it to someone else. And I'll never forget the comment he made when he came home as a U12. I asked him, I said, hey, how was soccer practice? And he said, well, he said, I go to this soccer practice three times a week, but we never play soccer. And he is one that stopped playing at, at 13. So I think that's an important message for our youth coaches out there that you know, especially in this country where in some pockets we don't have a professional team to watch that kids play. It, we, we, we do it because it's fun. And if you're not having fun with it, you're not going to want to do it. We have too many. We have so many options in this country. And if, if kids want to play soccer to play soccer, they don't want to do drills 24 seven or exercise. I call it exercises. So but but it's okay. I mean, we need to do them. We need to work on technical stuff and train. But I think kids need to play it's important to play yeah so phil based on what you've said man i got about three more interviews to do with you i'm going to wrap it up soon but this is going to go a little bit longer but i'm going to put it in the podcast i don't for the life of me and i have a tendency to to oversimplify things i don't for the life of me and i know it's complicated understand why we don't have just more free play days within our club environments where i don't understand that our club, the club my son is a member of, I think we err on the side of, I'm just a parent, so take it, err on the side of less play, right? And I would like to see more play. So then as a parent, I have to do, I have to be very intentional about organizing free play opportunities for my sons. And that, that worries me as well. So it's complicated, but it's not that complicated, right? It ain't that complicated. Just let them play. But it's complicated in that you're trying to navigate all these structures. And then American culture, if you is a coach, <laughs> if a coach just, you know, lets the kids play for 40 minutes, parents are going to be like, oh, I can do that at home, you know? So you got that going on as well. You got to put out 15 different cones. <laughs> I'm laughing at 50 different pieces of equipment. Well, look like you're doing something. Well, you know, that that's where, you know, that's a whole nother topic, but that that's where parent education is so important. That's one of the reasons I do my podcast. I mean, there's time. I mean, I have a friend and I used to make fun of him, but uh, you know, and I, I mean, I tell him, I'm like, dude, are you landing a plane here? I mean, what's going on? And there was cones everywhere, flags. 
and the parents buy into that, you know, and so they'll, they'll buy into it, you know, but uh, I try to use as little, because, uh, you know, in, in a game, you don't have cones out there. You don't, you know, you have four flags, corner flags, that's it. I mean, I try to make my sessions as close to the game as possible. So I, I tell the parents right away, hey, if you want to, you know, you want me to have them jump through, you know, tires and uh, hurdles and all that stuff. I mean, you know, I mean, I, that's not what I do. You know, I teach the game and I try to keep it as close to the game as possible. So. Okay. So we're going to wrap this up with, tell me about Miami AC, what you're doing now and how folks in the local area, why folks in the local area may want to check you guys out. Okay. So, well, we're, we're, we're not a traditional club. Um, We're actually starting our youth Academy um, in January. That's going to run from uh, it's going to be U nine or actually U eight to U 12. And our objective with those guys, which again, we're starting in January, our objective with those guys is literally to develop them and move them on. It is not to hold on to them. We will keep them if we, if we can't move them on, but our objective is really to develop as many players as we can and push them into MLS next. Um, So that's our objective. Now we started our club very, very different than most. We actually started with an older team, which we call our college prep program. And those guys are composed of players from multiple clubs. They can still be part of their club and they're not in MLS next. So they are in a situation where they need to get exposed to, to college coaches. And obviously because I've been coaching college soccer for so long, I have a a good network of college coaches. So we also, what we did was, and, and this is what I've learned of all my travels and coaching college soccer is, you know, many times a lot of the U, U17s or U18s are not ready uh, for the college game when they graduate high school. And so it usually takes a whole year to adjust to the college game. Um, also, U18, U19 can be, be a very difficult year because in some clubs, when a kid, depending on the culture of the club, when a kid commits to a school, he, he's not as committed to the team, which to me is a huge no-no. Um, but that puts the other the team in jeopardy. And then showcasing that team when you only have 10 or 11 players becomes difficult. So what I did is I created a senior team composed of high school age kids from like 16 to like 23 years old. We have some college guys sprinkled in. And um, we actually, during the fall right now, we have nothing. We're going to kick up again in the spring once the college season's over. And then really our, my bread and butter right now is our summer program because, you know, kids always find a supplement to keep training. You know, whether clubs like it or not, they're going to do it at least with me. Um, you know, we're able to, um, you know, to manage the workload, not overdo it with them, but still give, give them um, exposure to college coaches and a high level, high level competition. So what we do is, I put my, my, my college prep program into an adult league and they play against men. And what that does, it improves their speed of play. It improves them physically. And we have actually last year, we had 14 players on the team and 12 of them got, got scholarships or playing in college right now as freshmen. And that was during a COVID year. So, you know, that's the other part that we really thrive on is, uh, is college placement. So I think we're doing a great job with that. I've placed hundreds of kids into school and to a professional environment. So, um, you know, that's kind of, 
you know, we'll, our objective really is to develop them, get them seen, move them on. That's simple. So Phil, you touched on a couple of things and I'm going to wrap it up with my insight on this and my sort of just my perspective. And also I'm going to introduce you to a couple of members of the group who place kids in Europe and they bring them to the States for college. Cause I think that's a network there uh, sure. that, that you can benefit from and they can benefit from to have someone on the ground. Uh, I have a friend in France, another one in the UK, they're trying to send kids here. So if we start talking about U.S. soccer, and this is coming from a Neanderthal parents, I take it from what it's worth. There are many, many issues. But one issue I found that they do in Latin America that they don't do here as much is they don't have soccer schools. And your uh, program, the, the foundational program, sounds like it's kind of patterned after what a soccer school, which is our explicit goal is to develop you so that you can make that professional academy that then puts everything you do from the parents perspective into perspective because you don't have to explain to somebody hopefully you don't have to that the games are not as important if what we're trying to do is develop you to make the first team for you know dallas fc you you it's moronic for me to have to explain that to you but if but if but if we don't have that kind of context it can be confusing sometimes so i love that i just think they're i i'm rambling but folks who listen to my podcast know that i really think we have to tweak our organizational structures a little bit to um, um mitigate some of the conflict of interest right so it's very difficult to tell someone not to care about the wins uh if if they're being judged on that even if the kids are 12 right but if, well, you, well, if you establish that this is um, a developmental environment, hold on one second, a developmental environment with objectives that are not aligned with what you do during in these games, I think that can help the situation. Yeah. Well, Go ahead. This is a, yeah, this is a topic. I mean, you're kind of getting into a different topic, which is developing versus winning. And um, it's something I'm going to I'm going to address on my podcast. Uh, I'll probably do a show just on that. And I, you know, everyone has their own philosophy from club to club uh, for me. And, you know, one of the things that, and again, I think this is why communication with the parents is so important, but one of the things I do to educate the parents is I, I explain it like this. Um, and obviously depending on the age is different. If you're dealing with kids, you know, below the age of 16 uh, and the younger it is, the, the less, the younger they are, the less important the result is. But I always, I, I never tell the kids that it, that it's okay to lose. Um, because then you start, then they start to think, Oh, well, who cares? Uh, we won, we lost. I mean, at the younger ages, I mean, most kids just want to focus on, uh, at the end of the game, they want to know what the snack is. Yeah, you know what exactly. I mean? Like <laughs> you're dealing with nine-year-old kids, they lost and they say, Hey, we've got uh, ice pops over here. They're like ice pops, <laughs> you know, that's the focus. But, um, but um, I, I always, I, I always, and I explained this to the parents right away. And I explained, look, for younger age kids, um, I'm going to coach to develop, but I'm always going to teach them to play to win. So regardless, if I put a kid in on the team that might be one of the weaker players, but I need him to play because I need him to develop. We need him to develop, and and we and we want him to to, to grow as a player. Um, and I, I might even as a coach put him in the game and give him minutes when the, when the, when the result 
we don't know what's going to happen. You know, we could lose the game, but that's how the player is going to develop. And no matter what, they're going to play to win. But I'm going to be responsible as the developer of the talent to coach to develop. Now, as we get older and I have a group that's 16 or above, now we're coaching. We're, we're most likely coaching for results at that point. And the players have to understand, look, when you get to college or above, if a coach asks a player, would you prefer to play pretty or would you prefer to win? If you tell him I prefer to play good soccer, you might lose some scholarship <laughs> money on that one because that coach's job is dependent on results. Does yes. that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. So, so, but I think it's all, it, it's really, it comes down to one, the club's philosophy on winning and, and, and developing and two, how they communicate that philosophy to the parents. Yeah. So I did two podcasts. I did one on club philosophy and I did one on winning versus development. They're kind of long. So when you, when you, if you have trouble sleeping, I'm going to invite you to listen to them. And then I want you, and then you come back on the show and give me your opinion. Guys, we went over, but it's partly because I enjoyed this conversation so much. If you want to reach out to Phil, um, definitely join the Facebook group. I'm going to post his information there and I'm going to post his information and information about his club in the show notes below. And if you have a foundation foundation player, uh, I strong and you're in the Miami size Fort Lauderdale area, I strongly encourage you to check out Miami FC and learn more about what uh, what you're doing, Phil. And also, I'm going to continue to listen to the podcast because I third I thoroughly enjoyed the episode that I that I heard. So, uh, Phil, to be continued, man. I got to hey, we might have to do this once a month, but it's to be continued because I want to talk to you about college recruiting. I want to talk to you about Latin America. I want I want your five bullet. <laughs> I want your five bullet plan on how you're going to fix U.S. soccer. I want to know how you manage the conflict between winning versus development. I, you know that that's just the start, okay? So uh, you may have to start charging. You can be like Neil. I got to start charging you for this time. <laughs> well, hey, and and everyone can follow me on social media as well. And Miami AC, we're on. Uh all the, all platforms, you know, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all that stuff. And same with myself. I'm on all those. So feel free to follow me as well. Okay. So I'll put the social media handles in the show notes as well. Okay. All right, guys, this has been Neil uh, Crawford with Anytime Soccer Training. You've been listening to the YouTube channel, watching the YouTube channel and listening to the podcast. Let's get better together. Thank you, Phil. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me.